My name for publishing is William Preston. Nobody calls me William, but that's my that's my publishing name. For me, reading is a way to expand our empathy. I'm not original in saying that. But it, it lets us into the lives of others, assuming that the, the writer comes from a place of, of empathy and is trying to expand her his own sense of the world. And so to read broadly, to read things that we don't expect, to read outside things that we know will give us pleasure, but to read things that are really that unsettle us, and to slow down when things unsettle us, uh, to take our time, not to, I always tell my students this, if something is confusing or confounding in a story, that's the place you're supposed to stop and be confused and confounded. You know, the writer knows that that's where stuff gets dense, that that's where, that that's where there's a real question at the center of it. And so bring your questions to your reading. Understand that writers aren't typically trying to provide you with answers. They're just trying to provide you with a way into what the right questions are. I often think of Annie Dillard, who's one of my favorite writers, and she said, it's like we all wake up here paraphrasing and we ask ourselves, you know, who am I, how did I get here, and what am I supposed to do? And I think that's that, that's the start of all good reasoning, all moral reasoning, is kind of like Spock on Star Trek, like what's this planet, what's happening here, what are the facts? And once we know some facts, we can ask some the, the salient questions. But knowing what the right questions are, that's the real, uh, that's the real kind of moral challenge quite often, I think. This is the first episode with Bill Preston, literary science fictionist. He publishes as William Preston. Hey, Bill, confess to your crime of literary passion with Ray Bradbury. Why Ray? Mm Mm-hmm. Confessing, yes. Is, I, I didn't know that was a that it was problematic in any way. <laughs> Why Ray Bradbury? That's a. It's funny. I Bradbury has stitched together a lot of parts of my life. I I teach some Bradbury stories, and I teach Fahrenheit 451 with my ninth graders. My, my my girlfriend and I bonded over actually discussing Ray Bradbury on our first date when it it came up. I was like, wait, you. You, you you've read Ray Bradbury. She's like, well, you you've read and immediately. We knew like, okay, we're we're, we're cool. We're going to understand each other at a certain level. Bradbury, for me, who I first read probably when I was in, I think maybe sixth grade or seventh grade. I remember we used to have these reading classes, which was you sitting in a room with a bunch of other people, being quiet, and then there were a bunch of books that you could select from, and I would often choose books of short stories, and I had chosen something that had, uh, it might have been, is it Ars for Rocket, that had uh, Chrysalis, the Bradbury short story Chrysalis in it. I remember reading it and just being blown away by it. 
I had a, a Cub Scout book of science fiction short stories that had the Bradbury story, The Man, in it, which is kind of his, like, Jesus on another planet story, which connected a lot of his. I was, uh, as a child, I was, I was raised in an evangelical household. So reli- religion and kind of religious narrative and storytelling was a part of my thinking, as well as, like, Star Trek. And, and other just kind of strange things, which I, I sort of all fold together. I mean, I think religion fits that, is, you know, odd storytelling. Yeah. And so uh, those two things were my first, I think, exposures to Bradbury. And then I uh, I think then I, I either got um, Illustrated Man uh, and bought it or uh, Something Wicked This Way Comes, one of those. Nice. And I was just really sold. And I think what really sold me on Bradbury was... Again, not science fiction per se. I don't know if I'd, I, you know, and he would say himself and had said, you know, he only wrote one science fiction book, really. I mean, that was Fahrenheit 451. You can see it's science fictional, that there was a, there were scientific ideas that he's, he's, he's employing in order to get at something. Whereas most of his stories, he sees them, and I, I agree, as they're, they're fantastical. You know, he's using things. Metaphorically, mythically, a typical Bradbury starts off. Bradbury story starts off with you know the the rocket burned down through the sky. It settled on the field, leaving a, a, a swath of burned grass around it. You know, are you concerned? You know, the, the the rocket hissed open. Done. Like that's a start of a Bradbury story, and it's really fairly simple. It uses metaphorical language, but in a pretty clean way, especially his earlier work. They're just obvious things to look at. You don't have to do a lot of kind of mental work. And he's not asking anything of you in a, in a scientific realm. Or He's just like, I'm launching into this story. And so those elements all really appealed to me. I really liked the clarity of especially his earlier writing and the way in which he did pull in just anything imaginary could kind of be happening in his stories. And that, so when I started writing stories myself as a kid, that was, yeah, there we go. That, that was a model for me. I mean, that's definitely who I stole from, uh, was like, okay, I can do this. This is a style that's pretty clear that I can understand. I get how this works. Again, I don't have to know a ton as a like 12-year-old to be able to say there's a rocket in the sky. I don't have to have, you know, unlike if I had been absorbed in Larry Niven at that age or, you know, somebody else where I was like, oh, okay, I guess I need a degree in physics in order to like, well, the gravity was like, I don't know anything about that stuff. And so Bradbury gave you permission to, again, engage with story in a really direct way that didn't require certain things. And again, like sitting down and watching Star Trek, you know, if you think about, as you've probably heard, you know, when they were creating Star Trek and somebody said, well, how are they supposed to get down to the, to the planet? And like, uh, right. How do they, and they were like, we'll, we'll just beam them down. <laughs> what, do we, what do we, you know? And it just was this simple, elegant solution, you know, and then over the course of decades, they develop, you know, language around it, you know, Chief O'Brien going, oh, the Heisenberg compensators are broken again. You know, you could come up with more scientific, you know, a gobbledygook to cover it. But basically it was a, it was a shortcut because it was irrelevant. You just wanted to tell a story about people in extraordinary settings and see how people responded, which I think was Bradbury's interest too. It's just like, what are humans doing in odd circumstances? And uh, I think that's really, 
I, I teach ninth grade and eleventh grade uh, English, and with the ninth graders, we read you know Greek, what ancient Greek literature, you know Bronze Age stuff. So you know you're reading Oedipus Rex, and you're reading The Odyssey. You know a- anything can happen. I'm not sure that's where I was going with that sentence. I lost my my th- my thread there. But um, I'm just going to try to fill in a little bit. So Bradbury writes about the. Oh, yeah. Thank you. <laughs> yes. The, the the kind of human I- equation of it, you yeah, know, people, yes. you know, well, like what do kids remember from the Odyssey is like, oh, there's Poseidon comes and smashes their ship or there's, you know, still in Charybdis or the, you know, these huge magical things. But when you really bear down and, and read the story and I use the, the recent Emily Wilson translation, which is just gorgeous. There are all these human things that happen, these these deeply empathetic things that happen. Odysseus is, is telling his story and he finds himself overwhelmed with emotion and he's weeping and he tries to cover his face and his host realizes though he's he's hiding his tears and he tries to distract people by getting him to think of something else let's let's go show him our athletic prowess mm. and it's this act of just generosity mm. and human empathy and those things recur throughout that text and uh, so like yeah it's this crazy story in which anything can happen but at bottom, it's 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 stories about human beings, yeah. and and so that's I think always at the core of what's and for those of us who love Star Trek as little kids. Both things were happening for us, you know. Yeah, no, they, thank you. Uh, this is really great because uh, you're inspiring uh, some new thoughts here. So, so like Ray Bradbury's writing about human systems. It's about the human's relationship with technology, not about the technology itself. Uh, that's right. Yeah, and, and in fact, you know, Fahrenheit four fifty one. The, the something that I always point out to students, and many of them are quick to notice it, is that the machines uh, are described, are, are personified often, you know, uh, and then the, the human beings are behaving in robotic ways, or behaving in ways where they've been stripped of emotion. Only Clarice and her family are behaving in these ways that demonstrate that they're paying attention to the world, that they're doing this thing that, like, you know, Thoreau talked about, about being sort of awake in the world and just recognizing the natural world. Nobody else is doing that, you know, and Clarice has to say to Montag, did you know there's dew in the grass in the morning? And he's like, what? There's there's what? Where? Where?" (laughs) You know, he's become so dissociated from the modern world. And Brad Bradbury writes this in the early 1950s, and it's more relevant than ever as I see my students, and of course many adults too, were people staring at devices and not looking at this world that we're on really briefly. And I think Bradbury cared a lot about that, about the ways in which entertainment, which he loved, you know, he loved movies and he loved comic strips. He loved all that stuff. But he also felt that there are ways in which we're getting too uh, disconnected from just what it means to be alive and on the planet, you know? Nice. Yeah, yeah. Another metaphor that, that, that you inspired is uh, when we talk about Star Trek, there's like at least two big personas in there. There's Kirk and Spock. And I think right. a lot of science fiction, and in fact, Early on, when I was writing science fiction, I was more about the Spock mentality. Let's talk mm-hmm, about the technology. Mm-hmm. That's what's exciting. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and uh, Bradbury's definitely more about the human, uh, which is more like the Kirk, uh, 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 or perhaps McCoy as well. I, yeah, I would say he's he's the McCoy oh, in some he? ways, right? I mean, he's the, uh, you know, I'm just a country doctor. You know, he's a uh, guy who's yeah. got go. the sophisticated technology that he can use, like, where's my tricorder? But he's also looking at things. He's, he's very passionate. 
Mm. Kirk is passionate, but always in pursuit of a very a particular narrow mission, or, or a woman on another planet, right? <laughs> either, either way. Which, again, Bradbury characters aren't really very sexualized. Right, right. Yeah, that's interesting. And to me, it's interesting you mentioned, you know, your connection with Spock. Certainly as a kid, I think when I... And this is what a lot of people discovered, and this is what the showmakers discovered about how fans loved Spock. You know, so when I was a little kid, six and seven years old, and seeing Star Trek, Spock was definitely the go-to guy. And the a word I loved that I picked up at that early age was logical. Ah. It's not logical. And i, I got to tell you, that's really stuck with me. And, of course, you know, in our era of, of misinformation and, and intentionally false information, I mean, constantly saying... To, to, to my students, to myself, is that logical? Does that follow that evidence based? And that's 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 Spock. That's the that there's a moral there's a moral imperative there that Spock's got. It's not just dispassionate; it's deeply moral. They get into discussing that in Star Trek. His people put aside violence. They recognize that that the need to feel a thing mm. overwhelmed their judgment. And that it nearly destroyed them. And so they embraced logic as a way out of self-destructive tendencies. And, you know, that's not – we don't have to take it as far as the Vulcans to recognize what that is. I mean, we have a system of laws in the United States. And we get that idea from the Romans. We don't just react, you know, viscerally to something that, well, that person should suffer in this way. We may feel that, but we have laws. We have We have systems. And that's a very – that's a that's a Spock like I think uh, recognition. So Spock, as you know, <laughs> the second Star Trek movie when Spock dies, you know, what's Kirk's reaction that he says at the funeral? His was the most human soul I knew. Right, right. Uh, that, that's a that's a real deep recognition of of what it means to be human. And I think in ways that uh, yeah, that very much appealed to me as a little kid. I loved science. I love stories, but I also understood something about like, yeah, you don't, you don't want to get too carried away. You, you want to reason through something if you can. And I think that's just remained important to me. And then as a writer, you're, you're walking people through a narrative. Uh, you're trying to get people to follow a line of thought. You have to employ really logical systems as well as empathetic systems. You have to kind of think, well, how may the reader understand this? You're trying to cut off misunderstanding, if you can, for a reader and, and guide them in a certain way. And that's, that's you know, I- impossible to control completely, which is fine. But, th- but there's a really logical basis to that. However you found sci-fi thoughts, be it iTunes, Stitcher, or any of the other podcast aggregation services, if you've enjoyed the show, go ahead and do us a favor. Go to wherever you get this podcast and leave us a review, even clicking a few stars. And this will help out the show in many ways. Go visit the show notes and you'll find goodies like Bill Preston's website on Amazon and his Twitter link. So check it out. Where are the show notes? The show notes are in your podcast player or 
if you use your computer, it'll be at the same website where you downloaded this MP3. Next episode, more Bill Preston. I, so here's this kind of Bradburyan thing, is I guess I don't think of myself as writing science fiction. Um, and the, I find genre kind of problematic. 